Welcome to the Period Story Podcast, the podcast where we get behind some of the myths and misconceptions about periods. We chat with women about their period story, their first period, their journey ever since, and we open up a conversation to help break taboos and stigmas around menstruation. I'm your host, Lenise Brothers. I'm a yoga teacher and registered nutritionist specializing in women's health, hormones, and the menstrual cycle. I'm also the author of You Can Have a Better Period, the book Publishers Weekly calls an empowering debut, an informative, refreshing take on women's health. It's available from Amazon, Bookshop, and anywhere else you purchase books. On today's episode of Period Story, my guest is Amaya Arantz. Amaya is the CEO of Ruby Cup, and we have a great conversation about menstrual cups, how to use them, and how to get over some of the squeamishness that some of you might be feeling about the cups. We also talk about the social mission at the heart of Ruby Cup, including their buy one, give one model, and how they work with their NGO partners to distribute menstrual cups all around the world. Hi, Amaya. Thank you so much for coming on to the show today. I'm really excited to speak to you, um, learn more about Ruby Cup. But let's first get started with a question I ask all my guests. Tell me the story of your very first period. Hi, Lenise. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited about our conversation. Um, my first period was, I think I was 13 or nearly 13. And I think I was the last girl in my class getting her period. And with all these things, you don't want to be the first one. You don't want to be the last one. So by the end, I was really kind of praying for it because, you know, my friends were saying things that, oh, I have cramps, but you can't understand yet. And so you feel like a baby a bit and you just want to be a big girl like the others. But then my period did arrive. And um, the first thing my mother said was like, oh my God, now you could get pregnant. And I completely freaked out because I was a very young child. I was like nearly still playing with my dolls, not quite, but probably in secret sometimes, nowhere near having sex, nowhere near having boyfriends. So when she said that, completely freaked out. I was like, what do you mean? Like, it felt like I had been like fast tracked into something I wasn't ready for at all. So even though the technicality of the physical bit I was ready for, I have another sister as well. The, that emotional side, that thing of, oh, now you are a woman, that completely like, no, I wasn't ready for it at all. And so you weren't ready, but did you know when you actually saw, you know, the blood, what to do and what was going to come next? Yeah, I guess I went to, I went to a very good school in terms of like uh, retroactive health education. I, you know, I had a mom that told us about it and I had an older sister, which I think is always a massive factor. It was also like older sisters. I love teaching you those things. Not, and it's a tampon. It is a pad. So I kind of, I, I knew the physical bit, the, the bleeding, the, the pad, the, um, what, what to do. You have crumbs and, um, to be all coy in physical education class. Oh, I cannot do it today. But I think. Yeah, I, I knew the, the physical, technical, blood part of it, but I wasn't so prepared for everything else that comes like PMS or, I don't know, change in moods or how people might view you or how you might even consider yourself now you're a menstruating woman or an adult, let's say. Can you say more about, about that? Like, so the changes in how people view you and how you view yourself? Yeah, I think it's, I mean, I think this is changing a bit now, but a, a bit slowly, in my opinion. There is a still this thing of, oh, um, now you are menstruating, now you are a woman. And, well, no, you are not, actually. Um, uh, our periods are arriving, I mean, in terms of like population earlier and earlier. I think in the last 150 years, uh, on average, um, it's gone from arriving between 12 and 13 to 11, 12. Uh, there are many factors for this. It's thought to be uh, a higher consumption of meat, um, more processed food, pollution. We don't really know why, but periods are arriving earlier. When you are 11, 10, 11, 12, you are not a woman. And I think this concept that now you are a woman, the whole kind of connection between periods, reproductive health, sex, the cycle, you have to know that. I mean, 
knowledge is power is your body you have to know it and own it but to have this kind of like implication and now you are on your period you are a woman and therefore you are more um up for grabs let's say uh yeah i don't really like that i think it's very negative hmm. and and so for you how did it when you got your period how did it change how you how you felt about yourself if any if if it did in any way yeah i felt um i as i said like i i, I was kind of very bookish loved my doll's kid until an older age than average <laughs> which is absolutely fine but then now i the other conversation you have with friends about tampons and pads and also bras and like body hair like it's like one day you are literally like playing with dolls or watching quite childish tv programs and nine months later you are talking about whether wax or or shave your legs and tampons versus pads and different bras. And and that's fine because you're, you know, how you your body and your mind and your soul are growing. But I think very often I felt a bit like brought by what was happening around me rather than me feeling actually actually ready. And it kind of felt it was happening very fast. All these things about now, you know, maybe nothing wrong with makeup or anything like that. I'm just saying that it seems that now Poverty, teenage happens very soon and menstruation is a milestone that makes you go from feeling like you can still be a child to suddenly you are a young woman, which you are not at 12 or 13 at all. And, and I, that can be quite disconcerting. And especially if you take into account the male gaze, I grew I was a teen in the 90s. So all this thing, you know, Britney Spears being a sexiest school girl and so on. It's very confusing. What do you mean a sexiest yeah. school girl? What the hell is that? <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, it can be a bit confusing, that thing of like, supposed to be like much more uh, mature in terms of your sexuality or than, than you probably are ready for. If you are, it's fine. I'm not saying like one should not do that if they feel that way. But I think teenagers are very easy to... You can get influenced very easily by the crowd, by TV, by culture, by magazines and all these things. And you may be feeling a bit like that you are forced or not maybe forced, but really encouraged to grow up faster than you really are. I, I, I actually really agree with that. I think that, you know, there is this, along with this idea that having a period and menstruating and ovulating makes you a woman with it doesn't. There are so many things that make you a woman. Um, it just feels like there's this kind of expectation that, okay, child is, is over, time for the next phase. When I, like, I say this to my son a lot, and I don't think he really understands it, but, you know, enjoy your childhood. Um, enjoy not having any responsibility. Enjoy feeling free. You know, don't worry about this and that, you know, your worries, you worry about, you know, what's happening. Don't, no, think about what's happening at school. Think about your friends, but don't rush for the future. And I do feel like there is this kind of like acceleration happening. You see it on social media, on TikTok, where, you know, it's okay to experiment with makeup and all of that. But like when you see these girls, they're like 11, 12, and they've got a face full of makeup. Um, it's very kind of jarring because you look at them and you think you're extremely young and I like, it's great to experiment, but don't grow up too fast. That's basically, I think what I'm trying to say. I completely agree. I just want to clarify. I have nothing against Britney Spears. She's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's more about like, I don't think that was like, um, portraying not a sexy school girl. I completely agree with you. I also, because I, there are things like, I think it was, um, a few years ago, I, I lived in the UK for a long time. And I remember when uh, I, I think it was Primark, suddenly they had like a two-piece bikini with a bit of, uh, how you say, filling on the top area for like seven-year-old. Like the thing is this idea of, I don't know, taking the fact that all children like playing to be adults a bit. And taking it to an extent that is like we are like pushing them into a direction that I mean, some will be ready, some are very mature, and some are not. But um, but yeah, and also I think uh, with social media and TikTok, this idea that you have to look it 
but it's also how you feel inside. Like growing up and becoming more mature and being ready to take on more responsibilities and being more responsible for your body and your sexuality and your fun and so on. It's also so that it's, I mean, it's mainly something happening inside in your personal development. It's not only signaled by something physical, like a period or having boobs or wearing lipstick. And it will be good, I think. I have, my, my kids are very small, but they have teenage um, nieces and nephews. And I do see that they could get a bit more support into developing their internal skills to cope with the fact, with the facts of growing up. Hmm. And for you, once you got your period and then you kind of went into your teenage years, what was your experience of your period like? I was just thinking, it was like, it's really, it was this dichotomy. On the one hand, it's like, you have a period, you're a woman, you, you wear a bra and you epilate and you wear eyeliner, whole thing together, you not know, like being this kind of like secret club. We never tell the boys about these things and, you know, just going under the desk and it was something like fun and cool about it like i i mean i, I don't know how i felt about the bleeding i didn't have like period pain until my late teens but when i was 14 15 16 it was like nearly something fun like going to the beach oh, i can't get my shirt off today because i'm wearing a pack <laughs> but then at the same time there was this thing about how it's like the secret being fun but the shame also being very intense I do remember, it's like, it's a secret, but it can turn into dirty shame quite quickly. Once, when I was, the first year I was menstruating, so 13, 14, probably like 14, uh, my periods were still quite irregular, so I never knew when they were coming. And then I got my period and I was in a school and, and I stained my jeans. And it was literally the end of days. Like, what am I going to do? someone leave me a jumper i'm going to have to go home in the middle of the day change my whole outfit and probably like get face surgery and change my identity so no one that it was so embarrassing and it was like i mean i realized thinking why do i have to feel so embarrassed about this like the the, the boys are playing football outside and getting bloody knees all the time and they're not going around like oh my i have a bloody trouser this is horrible so i was aware of that and i was like i don't know like this is really Sometimes if someone says something about period, people pull a face or say like, uh, oh, it's a bit disgusting. We don't really need to hear about it. So on the one hand, it was like a path to a VAP cool girl room to have your period and be like a teen girl. On the other hand, there was so much shame about it. About I also remember when the first girls started using condom. And this is really insane. But remember, it was the 90s and it was in Spain and so on. And he was saying it's a bit, not slutty, but oh, you know, like a bit too much. And they say a tampon, a tampon, no, sorry, condom tampon, using tampons instead of pads. Like, oh, you put it inside. And I don't know, there was this thing about it. And then, yeah, mainly the thing about the, the, the blood being something super disgusting, not something you talk about, and having to hide it, not only by choice, but also by being not being disgusting you hide your period you hide your products and i do really wonder what it does to a young woman's self-esteem to be told that she might be smelly or dirty for a few days every month and her body is something is doing something that is going to be doing anyway but you should hide it and only talk about it in petit comité so uh, no, i find that not super great where do you think this this instinct, because this is something I hear a lot, you know, this shame. I have heard um, a few of my guests say that when they got their period, they felt like they were in this club and it was cool. And they like thought it was so awesome to be able to ha have their tampons and their pads. But then the majority of my guests have talked about shame and like, and where do you think this shame comes from? I think the shame comes from the patriarchy and an ingrained misogyny in our unconscious about the female body. I think it's it's just really screwed up the fact that, you know, like we still live in a society that seems to value motherhood in women in a way it doesn't fatherhood in men. You really, I mean, I'm not saying anything, but you really become a woman when you have a child. All the celebrities that haven't had children being so pitied well, while the men are not and so on. So it's like 
um, yeah, being a mother is like this really important thing in the life of a woman. And what's going to happen if you can't do it or if you don't want to do it? How suspicious, how weird. At the same time, the same biological process that allow us to become women is disgusting and dirty. And then in between period and pregnancy is the female sexuality, which is still surrounded by taboos and shame. So I, I think that's what it is. It's, I mean, I, I don't want to get like into like massive conspiracy theories here, but I think there is so much uh, fear and taboo and lack of acceptance um, around the female body that uh, the period has become a bit of a like a scapegoat because it's so visual, like so bleeding, like something you have to do every month. You have to like do something to manage the bleeding coming out of your vagina. I think um, many people, many men are terrified of it because it also is a symbol of our power. We can birth life, we can have children. So I think that where it comes from is is too much. I mean, I think it's too much to birth in a way. Yeah, I I agree. I think that you know th- these taboos they in, exist in so many cultures, and you know there's the religious side of it. There's also the cultural side of it. And then there's the whole idea, like the patriarchal side of it. What do you think we need to do to move past these taboos, to move past this inherent feeling of shame that seems to permeate once you get your first period? Well, I think a like proper period education is um, is key. Um, but you know what? Like I used to think. And I've been working and in, in menstrual education for more than a decade. And I felt so strongly like, you know, girls need to know about their periods. They have to be empowered. They have to be told how to manage them, how to feel proud of them and so on. You know what? Maybe the boys too. I mean, like, I don't know. I think sometimes like when you are a like, very like, passionate feminist, you are like, boys, men, you have enough attention, you have enough resources, like, you know. But actually now I'm getting older and, and I think hopefully a bit wiser, I think like, I think generally, like young people are very lost when it comes to their bodies and their sexuality, and we're not giving them enough support. I think there is still this fear that if we talk to them about sex a lot, they won't want to do anything else but have sex all the time or something <laughs> like that. So, like, sexual education, menstruation, like a two hour lesson in a school, and that's it. Like, what? Like, that's not enough. It's, it's going to keep on talking about this. So, I think it's education and then culture, like, for example, like when 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 um, I was in the nineties, like all the uh, ads for tampons are passed were like these like beautiful models, like actual models, like you know roller skating, like white shorts and being confident and beautiful. And it's like you feel so you are so like separated, so away from that reality when you are feeling like bloated and tired, and you don't want to wear white shorts, and you don't want to roller skate. I mean, like it just. I think we need to have more talk of menstruation in, in books and TV series, which I know is happening more and more, and um, movies, and just making the human body, and especially for teenage people, sexuality, reproductive health, period, something ongoing in a school. No one thing that they are taught once about, but something that have workshops, have like role play, um, Tell people all different products. This is happening now. It's so fantastic. I never knew until quite I was quite older that you could have anything but tampons and pads. I mean, like, no one product is going to work for everyone. Tell people all different products. If someone has a very heavy period, don't just put them on the pill. Maybe there'll be something else they can do. So I think we need to take more time and effort and care to educate people and create also a pop culture about it that it's more, I don't know, instead of asking all young bright lovely celebrities if they're going to have children ask them about how they deal with their period like don't mm. ask another woman again how is he being a working mom I ask her like you know Beyonce you're jumping on the stage for five hours a day every day of the month what happens when you're menstruating on that stage what do you do how do you manage it I mean yeah let's let's get more creative with this that's such an interesting line of questioning because yeah you do see these like athletes and like actors they're you know doing these very intensive um jobs and you do like thinking about like the heaviest day of your period where you do feel tired yeah how do you how do you navigate that 
it's so interesting to think about. But I do think, you know, coming back to this idea of education in schools, getting boys involved is so important. And I see this like on my TikTok, I get a lot of questions actually from men around fertility. You know, how do I help my partner? How do I know when she's ovulating? How do I help her? And, you know, if we had this education earlier where, you know, it was all the kids in the in classroom, not separated by gender, and they learn about the bio- biological side of it, they learn what's normal, what isn't, that it kind of reduces a lot of the fear that you see with, with men around this, like, oh, well, you know, I can't go to the shop and get tampons or pads it's weird or you know even like when women having to hide their products because they don't want to anyone to see it because they think oh well I don't want anyone to know it's just kind of all of this stuff starting really early in an age-appropriate way I think it's so so important like I do this my son you know I kind of bring it back to him because I just think it's so interesting because he knows the work I do and he hears me talking about it all the time. He hears my conversation. Um, and so he knows about periods. He knows about all of this. And I had to say to him, because his school just became co-ed. And I said, you know, there might be girls in your school um, year who they might get their period. If you see them and if they have a stain, you know, offer them your jumper make sure that they don't feel embarrassed, you know, let them know in a discreet way. And he hadn't really, he hadn't really made that connection. And of course he wouldn't. That's amazing. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, imagine if every boy was told that, like, if you see one of your uh, schoolmates, um, you know, stains or struggling or something, don't, don't laugh at her or don't ignore her. Just be supportive and nice. Imagine what difference that will make. I mean, it's amazing. Of course, it starts at home as well. I should have said that as well, that parents um, could do some support on how to talk about these things. I hope this is changing, but I, I mean, my dad will have never spoken to me on my periods. I mean, like, he'll just, if my mom and my sister were talking about it, he'll just say, pull a face and walk away. So, yeah, it's not, um, once again, it reinforces this idea that it's, it's a VIP club, but it's kind of shameful depending on who you are with. Um, yeah, which, yes, like, I think um, emphasizes this dichotomy when you're a teenager and things are either great or really bad or, you know, but it's really, it's really good that you are talking to your son in that way because I think, I think it's the only way. And also, I don't know, like, um, you hear more and more uh, women saying, you know, I I had uh, super heavy periods or very painful periods. Like, I don't know, once I was talking to this woman, talking about periods at work, who suffered from extreme anxiety from the fact that on the first day of her period, she couldn't move with the pain. She could vomit in pain. And she had a very high pressure ward. So if she thought that her period might coincide with a presentation, She'll be like, you know, taking something for anxiety as well. Like it can affect you that badly. And if you go to the doctor and that doctor hasn't got the resources or the training or the knowledge to help you, like so many women end up finally having endometriosis very later in life when they have fertility issues or or polycystic ovaries. Or actually there was a way to make this better for them that was saying you have the contraceptive pill. No shade on the pill, but there are also other ways of addressing these issues. And just doing all periods are painful and and dirty and it's a woman's job to put up with them. It's, well, maybe it's not. Maybe as any other thing that it's making your life quality worse, it's completely worth assessing and seeing if there's a solution for it. But you cannot do that if you're too embarrassed to talk to someone. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's someone in my family, like a teenager in my family, who has very heavy and painful period. And her mother is really trying to go and say, to go to the doctor just to check if everything is okay. And she refuses. At 16 year old, she's really, she's like, no, 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 that's so embarrassing. I will never do that. And her mom, who's a teacher, is trying to encourage her. And it's like, wow, still, no? Yeah. Yeah. I want to go back to what you said about in, when you, in your teenage years, when, when girls were starting to make the switch to tampons and it was seen as like a slutty. I never heard that. I just think that's, you know, it's so crazy. crazy. And, 
this is like any kind of menstrual product where you have to insert it. You know, there is like a lot of misconceptions talking about how it, you know, you lose your virginity and just, it's just wild talking about it. But thinking specifically about the work that you do with Ruby Cup and menstrual cups, there is still a lot of fear around menstrual cups, the insertion, managing it. Can you talk about why that is and actually why menstrual cups are so beneficial? Yeah, when it comes to um, any product to manage your period that are uh, used by insertion like tampons and, and cups, uh, there is, um, I think there are two taboos about it. One is uh, virginity and the hymen. Might the hymen break, therefore break my virginity if I put a, a cup or a tampon inside my vagina? And I think here is, I mean, we... At Rubica, we work with in many different countries with people from all kinds of like cultures and religions. And we always come from respect and say, this is not for you. It's not for you. And there's this fantastic company that makes washable parts. You should speak to them, like no pressure at all. But we also say like your hymen is a very thin membrane at the entrance of your vagina. And it's very flexible and it's different for everyone. Therefore, your hymen will break when you are playing sports or riding your bicycle or climbing a tree um, or doing a medical examination. But if you haven't had sexual intercourse, you are still a virgin. And that's like if your hymen breaks and you may not even realize when it breaks because it's not like like a, like loads of liquid waiting there for it to be breaking. Many people never realize when the hymen breaks. And if you haven't had intercourse, then you are still a virgin. There are people whose hymen is so flexible, like a spider web, so to speak, that they could have sex, vaginal sex, and the hymen not break the first, the second, the third time. They may never realize. And those people have had sex, even if the hymen is intact, so to speak. Mm, so hymen and virginity are not synonyms, so to speak. So you can, if you haven't had sex, and for example, if your wish is to not have sex until you get married, Using a cup or using a tampon is not going to um, destroy that wish. It's not going to stop you from being a virgin. Um, that's one thing. The other thing is like, um, you know, if we only talk about virginity in terms of penis in vagina, that's also a very narrow view of what's having sex in the course, which is something else to consider together. So personally, I think virginity is a social construct in itself. Um, but as I said, we always respect everyone's wishes and beliefs. We just say that mm, the same way that the cup is not, might or not break your hymen, it might break doing sex or not, it might break riding your bicycle or not. Just something to know. And then the other taboo surrounding um, anything being inserted in your vagina, which I think is that taboo we had in the 90s, at least in my school, is that because it's always been portrayed that sex and a woman's arousal happens when the penis goes into the vagina. We're watching a movie and, and they kiss and then they're having sex and she's like super, like super, super enjoying it with a kiss and a penis in her vagina. So I think there is this kind of, this remaining idea that a woman could get super aroused and super excited and have an orgasm just by having a cup or a tampon or anything going into her vagina. So I think that's like where it comes from thinking, oh, if I put something in my vagina, it's going to make me really, really horny and maybe that's inappropriate. Mm. We had in, in certain places, um, not our users, our program participants receiving a, um, a Ruby cup, but their husbands concerned that the women were going to be using the Ruby cup as a sex toy and start neglecting them, inverted commas. We have had this. So, you know, I think it's, and then we know we, we, what we did in this case is that we said, okay, why, how about we have like some women, like adult women, like community leaders use the cup and then they can vouch for the fact that unfortunately Rubica is not going to give you like a million orgasms. Sadly, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so that would be the best, the best product ever then. Um, so yeah, if you know the taboos, the taboo of the high virginity and is a taboo, this, this, I mean, I'm sorry to say, I think it's a lie for most women and why sex can be so disappointing for women at the start because most women do not go into the peak of their ecstasy just by having something put into their vagina. So mm. I think that's why. And I think it's also important to talk about this. Yeah. 
And well, then I think education is, is key and also like not only on menstruation, but also on women's bodies and, and trying to give ourselves permission to learn what we like and go with that. And then regarding menstrual cups themselves. So something that I see and it's starting, I am seeing a bit of a shift, but there is a, um, a fear about because it's, it feels for some people, it feels very different. They used to hearing about pads, hearing about tampons, oh, cup, like, how does it, how does it work? And there's a fear of it being messy. How do I actually get it in? Can you just talk a little bit more about that side of it? Yeah, sure. I think something with cups, and I'm talking here from my own experience, because I only started using cups in my early 30s. I'm 43 now, so I'm a seasoned user, but I did use tampons and pads for a very long time. I think it's this idea that you have to handle your own blood um, in a way. I think you still handle a lot of blood with pads and tampons, but there is something about you don't have to touch anything. <laughs> and there's also, there's also, for example, with tampons, with applicators are so popular, at least in Spain. In the UK, some more people using the ones with no applicator, but in Spain, everyone, or not everyone, but many people choose the ones with applicators. So you don't have to put your fingers inside you. You don't get any blood in your fingers. And all this kind of like sanitized period, just to stay away from that witchy blood from my vagina kind of thing. Okay, a cup is completely the opposite of that. You're going to get close and personal with your blood. And I think it's amazing. It's great. Okay, so for insertion, uh, a cup, um, I mean, we have lots of um, information and resources and videos in our website at moviecap.com. But basically, it's not that different to how you insert a tampon. What happens with the cup is that it looks like a, like a small cup. Um, but when you sit just like that, it looks very big compared to a tampon. So it can be a bit like, what? But then you fold it and there are many folding methods. And then when it's folded, it's actually nearly as small as a tampon with the advantage that it's made of very soft uh, medical grade silicone, whereas uh, tampons, because they are like uh, cotton or the applicator is cardboard, they're harder. So it who look smaller, but they're a bit rougher to an extent, whereas cups are very, very soft. So then you insert it uh, in your vagina and um, and then you, you let it to collect your blood while you menstruate. And then when you have to empty it, and this is the bit that everyone, everyone, including me, eh? I mean, I'm not looking on anyone. I, I, it took me some time to get used to the cup. Um, it's because then you do get very close with your blood because you have to take your cup out. And especially at the beginning where you're still a bit shaky and you're still learning how long you can leave it for before it overflows. It can be a bit, oh, it's blood everywhere. And this can happen. But what happens is that after a while, you learn how to use your cup and you end up being able to remove it and empty it anywhere without even getting blood in your fingers. And mm. it's quite funny to see, actually, it's not so much blood. It's not like this small cup full of blood and so on. But what I was going to say is that it's also interesting how we freak out about the idea of getting blind in our fingers or making a mess in the bathroom. Most of us don't bleed anywhere near as much as we think. It's the way tampons are part are that because they absorb the blood and they soak it up, it looks like they slow. But when you put it in an empty container, it's really not much. So even if you drop a bit of blood on the floor or in the bathroom, you can clean it up. It's fine. Um, it may happen to you the first few times you use the cup, but it's just your blood. There is nothing wrong with it. It's not disgusting. It's not horrible. Maybe interesting. Oh, I have a in there. Oh, it's much darker. Or oh, now it's more red. Now it's more brown. There is some, uh, I mean, I don't know. Like I, I really encourage people to try um, cups because I think they are a really fantastic product. They are the most eco-friendly product. They are the cheapest product. Um, but also because most of us are going to menstruate for our 35 years. Don't we want to know what, what is there to know about all the products and then choose? And maybe also explore one that makes us feel more like matey with our own body and our vagina. And our like, oh, now my service is a bit higher. Now it's a bit lower. I don't know. I think there can be a lot of joy in it. If you turn it around and start thinking, oh my God, my blood. It's fine. Yeah, I think that's such an interesting way of looking at it. You, looking at the... The number of periods that you have, how long. So I think it's like between about 450 and 500 periods across the, across the course of your menstruating life. And 
if you if you're going to experience something that many times, why not? You know, just kind of embrace it. It might be painful. It might be heavy, but embrace that kind of like process of it. And part of that is getting familiar with with your blood. I remember when I first started using cups. I was really surprised, not just by, I was surprised by the color. I was surprised by how, like, how I would fill a cup um, and how, like, you know, how I would have to empty it and how working all of that. But the other thing I was surprised about was actually the smell. You know, it's this idea that, you know, a lot of us grew up with, we touched upon this in the beginning of blood and our bodies and our vaginas being dirty and smelly. Vagina. Yeah. And I was like, this isn't, you know, this isn't smelly at all, you know, like, and I just thought that was, that was really, really interesting. And actually using a cup has helped me understand my body a lot more. And it's actually changed my period, you know, using, I started using a a really hard, a harder cup. I don't mention the brand, but it, I then switched to using a melancholy, medical silicone yeah um, and it just made my period so much easier and you know I it's like I have mild endometriosis so my periods can be painful but they are so much less painful and I put that down to not using like your standard conventional uh, tampons or pads but also giving my body the opportunity to just let the bleed kind of just go out rather rather than everything being absorbed, which is what happens with tampons. I I could not agree more. I could not agree more. It's um it's such a different experience. And and the smell thing as well is very interesting because I mean and as many also smell. If one day you get a bit sweaty and you're the other one uh, goes MIA, it's fine, you know, like it's just a bit of a smell. Sometimes the smell we 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 relate to to period smell is because you know like most tampons uh, well, they are cotton and they have they have bleached the cotton and so on. There are like a number of chemical products in there. I'm not saying they are harmful, but they they are in there. So therefore, that has a chemical reaction with your blood. It's a bit like if you were if you sweat a lot and you were like a cotton t-shirt or nothing even. The smell is completely different to when you were like a polyester. Or Lycra t-shirt. It's kind of that comparison, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I have never come up with this before. But anyway, and I think that's what happens with, with the cup because it's just collecting your blood, not absorbing it. So the experience is completely different. And then in terms of, I think for me, logistically, I had not thought about this, but now with tampons, uh, you have to have the right absorbency for that day because taking out a tampon that is not full, it is, like my friend says, like licking a noodle spoon so uncomfortable. Ugh. So uncomfortable. Sometimes, yeah, we can't have like all the size at home and our bag and at work. Like, it's just a pain. The first time I went on a holiday with just my cup, it's my little organic cotton little bag with my cup inside instead of lugging con- oh, so condoms. I'm obsessed with condoms. So with all the tampons, my tampons and my pads. And then you go to a bathroom and oh, where do I dispose of everything? I mean, it's just the experience is so much more pleasant. Mm. Um, and I really love what you said about embracing our period. Is where we this is kind of like hippie mindful saying about if you are swimming and a wave comes, you don't argue with the wave. What are you doing here? You have to go with the wave, right? So if your period is coming, yeah, get angry, get pissed off, uh, rage about it, but it's coming. Why not go with it and see? Maybe maybe it's not the worst thing to have a couple of quiet days once a month. With your blanket and your movies and a huge bar of chocolate, if that is what works your boat, go with it rather than trying to like fight it and, and say, oh, I'm not being as productive. I'm not able to run 30 marathons these two days. Well, maybe your body is not going to find that so horrible after all. <laughs> <laughs> I love that analogy, that metaphor. I think it's, I think it's brilliant. Um, I want to just switch a little bit to talking more about Ruby Cup, the company. Um, you have a model where someone purchases a cup and then another cup is donated. Can you talk a little bit more about where the cups are donated and why these places were chosen? Yeah, well, um, basically when the program, I mean, like 
Ruby Cup was always going to be a social business. It wasn't like something that came after. Uh, the the aim was always to find those people that were facing period poverty. I know period poverty means like not being able to fund your period in a way that is safe or dignified, missing a school, missing work, lower self-esteem. In certain parts of the world, it puts you at risk of falling into toxic relationships because you depend on your boyfriend to buy you parts and so on. Um, so that was always the aim of the company. Uh, and there was, I think it was in 2011, could it be? There was a small study in Kenya, in Nairobi. Uh, I think it was with 80 cups. I think it were moon cups, actually. Showing that the women were very receptive uh, to using a menstrual cup. I mean, we're talking about cups are quite well known now, but 10 years ago and in East Africa, they were not known at all. So it was always this concern that you're going to 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 go to people that have to have a problem and you are going to offer them a solution they don't want which obviously is not the way to go so um basically um the first distributions of uh, ruby cup started to happen in in kenya in 2012 that's when i joined the company in 2012 um basically we teamed up with a number of um, locally based NGOs that were working at the time, it was mainly schoolgirls because there was this whole thing like ten years ago about uh, keep girls in a school, um, save a girl, save a generation, and so on and so on. This idea that if you are able to to help um, a girl from dropping off a school or getting pregnant or getting married off at twelve, if you were you are able to keep her, let's say. I don't say in the good and narrow, but let's say like in a school and safe for um, until she was 18, 20, that her future could have a completely different shape and she could be much more of an owner of it. So we started distributing uh, caps mainly in the schools. And this was in Kenya, uh, Tanzania and Uganda. And those it started in those countries, basically, because we found some really, really fantastic locally based partners that they were super committed to deliver a product, education, support, peer support, a, a network of trainers, and make it long-term, that you really need to provide the person receiving a cup. We are talking about rural Uganda with education, support. You have to have everyone on board, the, you know, the, the school staff and the parents and the religious leaders and so on. So when we found these organizations uh, committed to this, this was like what we wanted. And, and it was great because we're also super committed to, to being accountable for our work. Like we, something we do very, very thoroughly with our partners is to follow up with the people receiving a cap and collecting data, whether they're using it. And if using it is a positive experience for them or something they have to do because they have money for nothing else. So. Um, our adoption rate across the board. Then we, well, then we started working in Malawi, then in Nepal. Then we have a number of projects in the UK, in Spain. Um, but across the board, our adoption rate is about 82%. This means that out of like 10 people that receive a cup on day one, six months later, they're still using it. Eight out of 10 are still using it. And we think it's a very, very good result. Uh, in some cases can be like 95% or 75%, but we believe that we have created a system of education and peer support um, and continuity and sustainability that is really working and really allowing people that would otherwise be using like newspapers and also, or just sit and bleed on the floor. Now they have 10 years of fast-free, stress-free periods and also access to education about their bodies, we developed a really great, if I say so myself, a training curriculum to support the NGOs we work with because we are nothing without them. Like we are a tiny company, but we work with NGOs. And now we work with some like really big NGOs and so on. And we love it, obviously. So many resources and I think videos and we love it. But to work with those small organizations that are there in the field, helping every girl, every woman, trying to provide like all the support they can and then them continuing the work. We wanted to also give them the resource of having, uh, you know, like uh, posters and a, a handbook for the trainer and like flashcards and things like that. So we're very committed to the educational part of it. Yeah, I love that. Education is so important to take the fear 
and the shame out of this topic. Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask more about the logistics side of the cops and in places like um where you might be working with NGOs who are distributing cups in like in slums. So I interviewed someone earlier in the earlier this year who has a charity that donates cups to Kibera, which is um the largest slum in Kenya. And one of the issues that they faced in the beginning was the cleaning of the cups. And they ended up having to work with um a company that creates um creates cleans water from rainwater and uses that as a way to clean clean the cup. Um, have you had this issue in some of the places that you work with? Yeah, I mean, something we do with our new partners is either via a questionnaire and via an interview, we always do a bit of a vetting process. Like there are a number of questions we ask and resources that need to be in place. And one of them is, how are you going to ensure that the users can use the cup safely? Are they going to be able to wash their hands? Are they going to be able to boil the cup? And they, if they, we feel that if in, in an area they don't have, because, you know, all the, everything you need to use the cup safely. And I know this is not available for everyone in the world. So I'm very respectful of that, that the fact that many people don't have even that much water. But it's like to be able to wash your hands, which hopefully you'll be able to do regardless whether you're using a cup or not. And then one cup of clear water once a month that you have to be able to boil. So of course, like gas or fire are involved. That's what it is. Um, and if that's not available, if that's not possible, we really ask the partner, the potential partner, to take a step back and see if that can be solved somehow. Um, and this is an issue. It's something super serious. We take it very, very seriously. Um, and for example, some feedback we had, we worked with Save the Children in Northern Kenya uh, a few years ago, and it's, it's a very, very dry area. And we were very concerned about the water. But what they were telling us, like, the fact is that if you're using rags for your period, you also have to wash those. And that, that really needs a lot of water and soap. So they were like, okay, let's see if we can like redirect some of the water that is being washed for washing to wash the cup. And it was super successful, that project. And then what happened is that a massive drought came in. And then there was like, and there was lack of like water and, and food and medicine. So the menstrual health project had to be part because bigger, more urgent needs came into place. So it's always like a bit of a thing. Like we always try and ensure that, I mean, we always ensure that our partners have resources at the time so that people using the cup can do it so safely. And it has happened that at some point, especially in certain areas of very dry areas, some refugee camps, perhaps the resources stop being available and then we have to stop the project because it's not really, um, we don't want to put that. We, we want to do no harm, let's say. Yeah. I think that's so, so important and so interesting because some in these conversations about menstrual health. So for example, menstrual hygiene day early, which is I think the 28th of May. There's always every year without fail, there's controversy about the name. Like, why is it still menstrual hygiene? And I think it's really a Western perspective where it's not like periods are a hygiene issue because you need to have clean water and access to water to be able to wash your hands, to wash any menstrual products that you use. And, you know, some places you just they just can't use reusable products because it's just they don't have the resources to be able to clean them um effectively so it's very interesting to have a global perspective and also to hear how you as a company are tackling this issue um in terms of the cup itself and you also do underwear yeah. where can people find find the products and do you have anything coming up that you'd like to share? Um, yes. Thank you for asking that. Uh, well, you can find us at www.rubycup.com. www.rubycup.com. Um, and we have uh, menstrual cups. We have a size small and a size medium. And there is a test that you can take. And you take the test to see which is the size for you. And then you get a 10% discount. So do that. Uh, we also have um, Kegel exercises, so you can um, work with your pelvic floor. And we also have like um, uh, Ruby cleans, which are small sterilizers you can bring about if you 
if you're traveling or you're on holiday or you are sharing your house with many people, it's somewhere you can boil your cup without using like a pot, let's say. And then we also have, we recently launched uh, menstrual underwear. It's called Flow Freedom. And uh, well, check it out because it has a very, very, they're very comfy pants, but they also have a high um, absorbency. So literally you can go to the gym on your period with them and be fine. And then especially now for December. So, okay, instead of doing Black Friday, what we're doing instead, which I think is re- I'm really excited about, is we're going to double our donations in December. So if you buy one cup, we'll donate two. So yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, like in a way, when you give discounts, you, you lose some profit margin. Okay, we're going to lose it in the form of donations instead. So um, if you're thinking of buying a cup, yeah, you won't get a discount if you buy from us on Black Friday. But if you wait a little bit and you buy it in December, you will be able to, to help two people have 10 years of fast-free period. I love that. That's amazing. Safe periods, dignified periods. So yeah, uh, yeah check us out and uh, we're on TikTok as well and Instagram. And yeah, yes, yes, be in touch. Great. What's the one thought that you'd like to leave listeners with today? I would love for anyone listening here to take just a little cup of tea and sit down and think about their periods or the periods of the person they live with or their friends or family members and try to to turn the narrative from uh, the menstruation being something bad and dirty and annoying and something that is always the butt of the joke to something that could be something that works with you and works for you and that could be a time for yourself every month and that knowing your cycle is going to make a huge difference. We don't have no time to talk about this now, but know your cycle, track it, see how you feel at different moments of your cycle. And I promise, 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 embrace your period, get to know it, and it's going to work with you, not against you. I love that. Thank you so much for coming onto the show. I'll put all the links in the show show notes for anyone who wants to check out Ruby Cup. Thank you for having me. I had a great time. The time has flown by. For more inspiring conversations, head over to periodstorypod.com where we have so many more for you to peruse. If you want help with your menstrual or hormone health, email me on hello at eatlovemove.com to set up a free 30-minute hormone health review. If you like today's show, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Tag us, come say hi, and send in your requests for who you'd like to see on the show on Instagram and Twitter on at periodstorypod or email us at hello at periodstorypod.com. I'm Lenise Brothers, and you've been listening to Period Story. Thank you so much for listening.